Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So I have to know, because I know some of you guys did it. I know some of y'all did it this week. How many of you guys, like, saw the, uh, the broom challenge that was going on uh, throughout the week? Uh, did you know that this could happen? But it can only happen one day a year. Uh, apparently, there was uh, something going around social media, if you didn't see it. Lots of people that, like, were standing their brooms on end like this. And, like, it was, like, the freakiest thing ever, right? Because, like, brooms can't just, like, stand up on their own. Like, that's not normal. That's not you. So, and, and so it's going around social media. Somebody, like, had, had, had said that NASA said, this is like, you get NASA involved, now it's legitimate, Right? So NASA was involved in this, and they did these unique calculations to where only one day a year, and this day was what, Thursday or Wednesday? Or I, I, someday this week, only for that day only, your broom could stand up all by itself. And so I must just be actually magical because the broom is still standing up. To, no, it was like this giant, and some of you did. It's okay to admit it because, like, you and half the planet did it, and there was all these pictures of brooms standing up just like this all by themselves. And, uh, but it was a giant hoax because, truth be told, your broom can do that every single day of the year. It has nothing to do with the alignment of the planets. And uh, so now that's a trick that you can play on somebody uh, that doesn't use the Internet because, like, they, everybody that's on the Internet knows. Uh, I was thinking, like, and I'm the skeptic. Anybody just, like, totally skeptical about it, like, from the start? You're like, yeah, I knew, you know. I knew that wasn't a real thing. And uh, I was, I'm the skeptic guy. I'm like, that doesn't work. That won't work. And somebody did something to get that thing to stand up. Like, it was, like, tied with, like, string to the ceiling or something like that. It's like, that was my initial feeling. And then when Jess got it to happen, she, like, did it. I'm like, okay, that's interesting. Um, but this is a hoax. Like, I know this is a hoax. Like, this is, there's something, like, to this. And apparently it was a hoax because somebody very cleverly got a lot of people to bite on this NASA thing. And the broom is still standing up today. So there's nothing magical, just bristles that separate and create a nice little, I'm not a science guy, but it, it does work. And uh, so that, that's fun. What would really impress me is not if you can get your broom to stand on it, but if somebody could ride out of here on this thing. Like, that would be... And that would be a bit terrifying, too, right? Like, oh, okay, I don't, I don't know what you've been, what Kool-Aid you've been drinking or whatever, but stay away from that person. Uh, so that's the broom challenge, and truthfully, I was kind of unimpressed by it, um, even though it's okay. It's like some of you are like, that's remarkable, that's amazing. Um, but, uh, you know, if I really want to think about things that are remarkable, if I really want to think about and, and lean into the miraculous, you really want to see some real miracles follow the trail of Jesus through the Gospels. I mean, you want to see some stuff that's really impossible. You want to see some stuff that's really impressive. You want to see some stuff that is really like, wow, only God kind of stuff. Follow Jesus through the Gospels. And those are real stories. Uh, those are real events. And uh, as eyewitnesses captured those things. And some of you could just retrace your own story to say, hey, listen to this. Like, watch what, listen to what God had done in my life. Listen to how God has used me. And we could take that journey too. Um, but as you look at the Gospels, I mean, one thing is clear. There is something remarkable at the person of Jesus. And John, reflecting at the end of his Gospel, this is something I share a lot, but I love it, and I come back to this text a lot. John gets to the end of his Gospel, and he's just kind of like throwing his arms up in the air. Like after he's sort of written like the Cliff Notes version of Jesus' story, captured a lot of the highlights, uh, he comes to the end of it, and he says, you know what? Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have enough room for the books that would be written. I mean, imagine that. He's come to the end of it. He says, listen, 
I couldn't even write all this stuff down. Like, I couldn't even begin to write. If I tried to write everything down that Jesus of Nazareth has done, there wouldn't be enough room in the whole world for the books of the stories that could be told. And some of you could write a book just about your own story and, again, how God has moved in your life. But Jesus is truly remarkable, and I've encountered that time and time again throughout my own story and throughout uh, the history of his life. And so I want to just for a little bit today bring you kind of back to this place of understanding and opening up your mind and heart to the possibility that exists as we journey toward the person of Jesus. And we call that discipleship. We've been on this journey called elementary discipleship, learning what does it look like to follow in the footsteps of Jesus? And what things does he call us to? What things is he inviting us into? And we've been tackling these nine core key elements that were part of Jesus' discipleship method as he developed uh, his disciples. And so we're talking about the net today, which is all about the cost and calling of following Jesus. And we're really going to camp out on this one miraculous moment uh, that happened for the disciples. And for them, uh, it was way cooler than Jesus balancing a broom. Uh, this was a pivotal moment for them that really changed the course of their lives. And it was probably for them, I could just assume that it was one of the most personally impactful miracles that they witnessed. And one of the first miracles that they witnessed uh, firsthand of Jesus. And so we're going to look at Luke chapter 5 and unpack this miracle a little bit together as we think about our own costs and calling, following Jesus. So if you want to turn with me, Luke 5, 1 through 11, and we're going to read through the text today. It says this, One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and he asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night, and we haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boats to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. And then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on the shore, left everything, and followed him. And that one last scripture there. Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. They pulled up their boats on shore, left everything, and followed him. Right there is encapsulated the cost and calling of following Jesus. That Jesus offers us this greater calling to grab hold of, to embrace, to chase after, to pursue, to live out. And at the same time, on the other side of that, there's this cost, some things we let go of so that we can fully take hold of the calling that Jesus has for us. And so just in a very brief version, that is the essence of the net. And there's really two miracles that come out of this story. The first is the miraculous catch of fish, because that is absolutely, that doesn't just happen, you know. That, that is not an ordinary kind of a moment. There's a miraculous catch of fish, but perhaps more remarkable over time is the miraculous call of the disciples. God taking these ordinary fishermen and transforming their lives and setting their hearts on fire in such a way that they change the course of human history. 
I mean, that is, there's the miraculous catch of fish, and then there's the miraculous following and the miraculous call of the disciples. And God still does that, taking ordinary men and women, preparing them and positioning them to do extraordinary things. And that I am impressed by over and over again as I hear those stories. I might not be impressed by a broom standing on him, but I am impressed by God using everyday people, including me, uh, to do things that we maybe could have never asked or imagined. And I just want to tell you this morning, I spent a little bit of time drawing you into this understanding that God has called all of his people uh, to this place, and he has marked all of his people with great purpose and calling. And so whether or not you believe that today, whether or not you think that today, that is true of you, that you have been marked by God with greater purpose and greater calling. And you know, normally I don't preach a, a six-point message. I think it's five or six points. I can't even keep it straight. It's too many, right? I normally don't do that. And, I, and the reason is because if I can't even remember my own points, you're not going to remember my points, right? So it's like, let's camp out on a few here and really bring this. So normally I don't do that. But what I did this week is I was just really sitting down and thinking, you know, I want to take a little different approach with this message. Because I could walk you right through the book, right? But you can read that. You can walk through that. I encourage you to do that. But today what I want to do is just spend a little time sort of, blowing up some misconceptions that we have that keep us from actually living out our calling. There's some things that I think, some lies that we believe, some things that, that thoughts that we have about calling that really keep us from grabbing a hold of calling. And so what I want to do is, you might not get all five or six of these points, you can write them all down, but I, I, what, what I really think is perhaps you came here to hear one of these points. Perhaps there's one misconception that's been standing in your way from living the calling that God has for you. And if we can just remove that misconception for you today so that you can step more fully into the calling that God has for you, then it'll be a successful morning together. So uh, I just want to encourage you to kind of lean in and, and see what God might want to speak to you personally today. And so we're going to look at, again, some mindsets that keep us from living out our true calling, some misconceptions that I think that we adopt, um, or, you know, for some of you, it might be, and my prayer has been this morning, that maybe for some people today, you've stepped into your calling only to be sidelined once again, and be like discouraged and off the wall, and some of you need to be reinvigorated on your calling. Some of you need to just understand the things that God has positioned you to do, uh, to find purpose in those things again, and uh, so it might not be some dramatic change, it might just be a change of heart that happens today that unleashes you back into your calling, and so I want to encourage you Again, to lean in and just do uh, some time with the Lord on this. Misconception number one is this. My value is performance-based. My value is performance-based. Now, this one's tough to not believe because everywhere around us, right, we're taught that we have value based on what we do, right? Whether that be our report card, whether that be our resume, whether that be our list of things that we've done over the years, you know, the things that we've accomplished, our accomplishments, whether that be the title in front of your name, uh, whatever it is. I mean, we're taught that things have value based on performance when Jesus teaches us something different and the Scripture teaches us something different, that it's not based on performance, it's based on existence, that we have intrinsic worth, that we have intrinsic value. And the reason that's important is because you're never going to really grab a hold of your true calling if you keep trying to earn value before God. If you feel like you're earning your way and it's all about your performance. And in fact, if it's all about your performance and your value is performance-based, it really impacts your performance. It impacts your ability to really live your best life when you feel like it's all dependent on your performance. But God frees us up from that idea. Now, I love here because Jesus walks up to these guys, these fishermen, 
that were ordinary guys. They weren't impressive. They didn't have an impressive list of resume or anything like that. And these guys were basically unknown guys. But the guy that was walking up, Jesus, to step out onto their boat, he knew them better than anybody knew them. He knew them better than they knew themselves. And so Jesus, while he might have been a stranger to them, at least at that point in the journey, these guys were not a stranger to Jesus. In fact, Jesus was, as we've read before in the scripture, that he's the firstborn over all creation, which means he was there in the beginning. He was there. He was part of the conversation at the onset of creation when God said, let us make man in our own image and our likeness, that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created us, mankind, in his own image, in the image of God, he created us, male and female. He created us. Now, track with me for just a second, because I think it's important that you really understand what I'm saying here. For the disciples, each and every one of them, their value really preceded their calling. They had value standing in that boat. They mattered to God. And they mattered to God because he had been there at their creation. And he understood that they were images. They were image bearers of God. They were created in the image of God, and the same is true for you. You bear the image of God, and because of that, you have intrinsic worth and value. We were all created with purpose, out of purpose, for a purpose. We were created with purpose, for a purpose. We may not all live out that purpose, but all of us have been created with purpose in mind from a purposeful God. Um, I don't know if you've noticed, but the craft thing is like really a big thing now you know you got like craft beer you got craft cheese you got craft bread. like everything that's craft is like you know that's that's where the value is at right that's the good stuff and we know and like even as marketers have really attached to this like even things that aren't craft like try to be craft like i was like um, although this is kind of craft i guess you could say but i was at tom and chi the other day and getting a sandwich and i don't know if you knew this but their sandwiches aren't just made they're handcrafted they're and I, it makes all the difference in the world. Like somebody handcrafted and designed. And you know, if you go to Subway, they've been onto this for a long time. Those aren't, those are sandwich artists at Subway. I don't know if you knew that, but they're an artist. Like they craft these sandwiches. And we know that there's value to this idea of being crafted. Now, hear this truth. There is nothing more craft than you and me. There is nothing more intentional and deliberately crafted than you and me. We were handcrafted, and that is where we derive our value. Psalm 139, 13 through 14. For you formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. Look around the room, and you don't have to make awkward eye contact. But just look around the room for a second. Every one of those people, every person that you see, every person that you encounter, has intrinsic value because they were created in the image of God. So before you do anything for God, you must discover you have intrinsic worth because you were created in the image of God. You are an image bearer of God, and because of that, you are valuable and you have purpose. So misconception number one is that I have to earn my value. My value is performance-based. Misconception number two is this. It's all about me. Now, this is one you're not going to probably just really quickly admit, right? And you probably won't even admit it to yourself that, like, no, my world really is about me. Like, I, I do try to find purpose in me, and, and, and this is kind of where—that's that's one that is kind of harder for us to, to let go of. But I think it's from time to time we all, if we really check our motives, we check our heart, we do live for our own purpose a lot of times. 
The problem is that when we live for our purpose, we miss out on his greater purpose. And when Jesus pulls off this epic miracle in front of these guys, do you see their reaction? I mean, they're all like, come, they're, they're falling down on their knees. They're absolutely astonished. They're blown away. And this is important because what Jesus is doing is right off the bat, he's showing them who the story's about. And, and they might say, hey, we're just fishermen, right? We're just working for a paycheck. You're working for a paycheck right now. You're working for a living right now, but you're about to be working for me, and that's going to change absolutely everything. And so Jesus brings these guys to this point of just humility so that he can build them up and unleash them and release them into their greatest purpose. And Peter, in specific, just falls down at Jesus' feet. But all of them are just blown away by this singular moment. And so they start to then begin to live for a different purpose and a different reason. Now, I, for some of you today, I think that it really might be, because, you know, a lot of times we talk about calling, and you think, well, i got to go, like, move to, like, some far-off third-world country to do that. You know, like, I, I've got to go, like, just uproot everything. And, and for some of you, that might be true. Like, God might be calling you to do something like that. For some of you, it might be more simple than that. For some of you, it might be not that you need to change what you are doing, you need to change why you're doing it, who you're doing it for. Because right now, you go to work every week, and you're, just, you're, you're not working for the Lord. You're just working for a paycheck. And that changes everything. So I'm not living for—if I'm just like, man, it's got to get through that work week. It's got to get through the grind. You know, I just—I do this. I tolerate this every week so I can actually live my life, right? Like, that's a miserable way to live when you're working. The majority of your life is spent, like, in a 40-hour window, right? So maybe if you just kind of slightly change your perspective a little bit, say, nope. In this, I'm working for the Lord. For those of you that are parents and some of you with young kids right now, you know that it, there's a lot of needs right now. And it can get tiring if you fixate on those needs. And you're like, man, I'm just, I'm just working for bedtime. Like, I'm, let me, just get me to bedtime, Lord. You know, everybody's alive and well at bedtime. Like, is it, but that's not the way to live, right? I want to do this as I'm raising God's kids, right? I'm doing this as if I'm serving the Lord and not men. And so that one perspective change has a way of— helping us to really seize our lives in a new way and see our lives in a new way, living with purpose in all things big and small, right? When you're cleaning the kitchen at night, what if you did that as if you're just working for the Lord? Like, I'm serving you in this, Lord. I mean, what if all the things big and small that we started doing, we started doing it for a different purpose, a greater purpose, not to serve my own needs, but to serve God and to honor him through that. Jesus speaks into this for the disciples in another key moment in their development. And there's all these great, like Jesus, it's amazing because if you pay attention, every moment's a teaching moment for Jesus. Like he's just looking for any opportunity to speak life into them, to speak truth into them. And in John 4, they just kind of throw something really like just normal out there. And Jesus like speaks truth. Like it's amazing like how he can turn the most ordinary moment into a significant teaching opportunity. And so they come up to him, they say, Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. It's like, you're, you should be hungry. Like, eat something. That's like a really simple conversation, right? And here's how Jesus replies. But Jesus replied, I have a kind of food that you know nothing about. They're scratching their head. Like, what? He's got extra food somewhere? Like, is he holding out on us? Like, what? Where is he? How is this extra store of food? And so they're confused by this. Did someone bring him food while we were gone? The disciples asked each other. But then Jesus explained he wasn't talking about physical food. He says, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and finishing his work. He's saying, listen, this is where I find my nourishment. This is where I get fueled from, is by doing the work of God, by doing the will of God and from finishing his work. 
And I love this because I think that if we could change that one slight adjustment in our thinking, you know, I'm just living for God's agenda. Like every day, like I'm just going to go about my day and I'm going to, whatever God allows me to do and gives me to do, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that and I'm going to do it for him. That's where I get my fuel from. That's what drives me. That's what continues to propel me forward in every way. And I think some of us are dissatisfied, frankly, because if we really evaluate, our lives are about us. Our focus is on us. All that we're doing really is for us and to serve our own ends. And we're at the center, and the world spins around us. So I think we have to, and, and the truth is, it's easy to get back to that place over and over. You've got to, like, re, rewire your, your mind and thinking and heart over and over again on this. Um, I was, Stephen, this past week shared with me, we were kind of talking about the will of God, and he told me about, this time when his dad was having a conversation with a professor. So Don was having a conversation with a professor from CCU, and they were talking about the will of God. And um, this professor said to him, he said, you know, the will of God, we, we think it's always like this mysterious, like mystic thing. He said, you know, the will of God is not some mystical thing. Just walk in the direction of God. Like that's just, just walk in his direction. And when we just walk in the direction of God, what we find is we're stepping more and more into our purpose. What a great starting point for some of us. Still looking for your higher purpose? Why don't you just walk in the direction of God? Start walking in his direction. Draw near to him, as the Bible said. So misconception number two is it's all about me. It's not about us. Not if we really want to find satisfaction and calling and purpose. We've got to understand that our calling, our purpose transcends each and every one of us. We're thinking too small if we think it's all about us, and we will ultimately be unsatisfied. Misconception number three I need to be more like so-and-so. Now, you could all find somebody in your profession, in your workplace, in your role that you play that's doing it better than you feel like you're doing it. Or that you should have that opportunity that they have. Or you should, I mean, you know we all play these games, right? Like, what if it looked more like this for me? Or, man, you know what? I'm just, I'm, and social media is just like the worst for this. Because now I get a, a front row seat to all of the things that I'm not doing right, that I could be doing better, and it's just devastating, because what it does is it takes our eyes off of who? God and us, right? Like, what he wants to talk to us about, I mean, as parents, I, right now, I'm in the stage right now where I feel like the thing I say more than anything else is, you worry about you, you know, just, would you just worry about you? Like, because you had no idea, but you're mad because I didn't, we didn't do this for you, give you this candy or whatever. I'm about to take you to the trampoline park today, you know, we're gonna have a great time, but if you're so worried about you that now it's gonna, like, we're, I'm not going to do that, you know? So we, we tend to get focused on what's going on around us, what this person's doing, what we should be doing at this stage of our life, whatever, okay? We play these games. And you maybe heard the old quote, comparison is the thief of joy. Anybody heard that quote? It doesn't just rob your joy, doesn't it? It undercuts your unique calling as well. Because if I'm trying to live out somebody else's story, what's, whose story am I not living out? I'm not living out my story, right? I'm not doing the thing that God wants me to do in, in, in the creative and unique Thing that he has equipped me and positioned me to do. You do you. I don't mean that in a condescending. It's just you do you, right? Just you do you. Because only you can do you. You will never fully step into your calling if you keep trying to live somebody else's story. So just don't allow the enemy to use the comparison game. That's not his way to guilt you into doing. That, that's not his way to speak into your life. So don't, don't fall for it. You know, we use this disciple-making method to help people explore their distinct calling. And uh, Courtney designed this image, and I love it. It's, it's a really cool tool, and we want it to look like a compass because when you ask the direction, what's my purpose, we want you to really kind of evaluate that based on these four categories. And uh, those aren't 
end-all, be-all categories, but they certainly can help you find direction in what your purpose is here and now. So asking the question, okay, well, what people has God surrounded me with? That's one way to find my purpose. It's like, what people has God surrounded me with right now? Where has God placed me? I mean, proximity-wise, is there a neighborhood that he's placed me in? Is there a, a job that he's placed me in? Whatever it is, like, where has God positioned me to live with calling and purpose? Uh, problem. What's that problem that you know somebody needs to solve? And you're just, and you might even tell people, somebody should solve that problem. Like, maybe that's you. You're the one that's supposed to solve that problem, right? The reason that agonizes you is because you're the person that should be thinking about how do we solve that problem? And the last one is, and it's not necessarily that order, but when we find the intersection of these things, you get these unique coordinates that are uniquely you and the life that you're meant to live out, and that's passion. God's laid some passions in you. It's that thing that keeps you up awake at night. You know, it's that thing you can think about. It's that thing that stirs your soul, and God wants to use. He created you. He knit those passions into you. And so what does that look like for you? Finding those unique coordinates of, and the, the truth is the coordinates change too from time to time. And so there might be a season where now I'm with, I mean, it's a different season of life, a different group of people, different place, whatever it might be, or there's a new problem or whatever it is, right? And so we just pull this out from time to time and say, okay, God, I need to find my purpose again. Show me these things in my life. So I encourage you to do that. Ephesians 2.10 says, We are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You have to do you. Because God wants you to do you, and he has, to, he has prepared some things in advance for you to do while you're on planet Earth and positioned in this place. I love Galatians 6, 4 through 5, and this has been something I use over and over again on a personal level. I say, just sit back down again, Josh, and do this. Make a careful exploration of who you are and the work you've been given, and then sink yourself into that. And I love it because it's, it's, like, it's like he's reading my mind through the Scripture. Don't be impressed with yourself. Don't compare yourself with others. Each of you must take responsibility for doing the creative best you can with your own life, right? Don't compare yourself to others. Focus on what God is doing in you. You don't need to be more like the next person. Misconception number four, it's dependent on me. I love because Peter, first thing, what is the first thing he says to Jesus? He goes up to Jesus and he acknowledges his own limitation. They've been fishing all night, and what does he say? go push out from the shore we we've been fishing all night you want us to go back out there like there's not a fish biting like it's not fishing season today jesus like i i just got to tell you and so but then he doesn't get stuck there he moves on and says but master if you tell us to do so we'll push back out there once more and so they do and so he pushes past those things and i love it because jesus could have said listen peter exactly you fished all night and caught nothing invite me into the equation and well, watch what we can do. Watch what I can do, okay? And Jesus bulldozes this misconception right out of the gate. Go push out from the shore. And rather than simply speaking into their doubts, he just demolishes their doubts by showing them who's in control and who's in charge of the results. Man, I just have so much more freedom when God's in charge of the results. When it's not dependent on me, I feel like I can just live more freely and fully when I really truly believe that. But the truth is, sometimes I get limited and I think, it is dependent on me. And I was confessing this to Stephen this week. I was like, you know, like, I ever feel like you're just the limit to things? Like, things could go so much further, and things could be so, you know, if, if I just wasn't the limit, and I love it because, um, you know, Stephen has a way of just, like, saying the right thing or, or the right well-placed question as he's kind of mentored me over the years. And so I'm just like, maybe I'm the limit. And he goes, well, that doesn't put a limit on you. It puts a limit on God, doesn't it? I'm like, oh, very good. Like, that's like just like he's absolutely right like 
if I can limit God, like, what, what does that say about God, right? It's absolutely ridiculous. And I was like, well, that was pretty good, you know? The pastor gets pastored, you know? And it like, gets, gets me like that all the time, you know? And I would have loved it if he left it right there, but then he went on to say, he's referring to an Old Testament story where God speaks through a donkey. You ever heard that story where God speaks to a donkey to get this prophet's attention? Uh, Balaam. And he speaks through his donkey. The donkey's like, starts talking to him. He's like, okay, now you have my attention. He's like, and so Stephen goes on to say then in reference to that story, he said, hey, if God can use a donkey, he can use you. And I was like, <laughs> wow, that's really encouraging. Thank you. If God can use a donkey, he can use you. And so I just want to pass that advice along to you. If God can use a donkey, he can use each and every one of us in this room. So we cannot put a limit on what God can do. You cannot be limited by your limitations. God is bigger than every single one of them. So just like Peter, just hand him that excuse, right? I'm glad that Peter said what he said. He's like, hey, listen, we fished all night, and I could use that as an excuse, but Lord, so if you say so, I will do it. Some of us need one of those but Lord kind of moments. It's like, but if you say so, God, here, you can have this excuse, and I'm going to step into what you want me to step into. We don't have to be limited by our limitations. Misconception number five, my failures disqualify me. Now, some of you, I think, are sidelined today because of something like this. You started out, and you were off to a good start into your calling, and you made some mistake along the way, and you will not let yourself off the hook for that mistake. You're allowing that failure to just keep you on the sidelines when God's calling you back out to the fishing boat. Like, let's go. I want to go back out, and I want you to continue to, to live once more in your calling. And Peter, he falls down at Jesus' feet, right? And his phrase is accurate. Depart from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. That is a 100% true statement, and all of us could do that very same thing. Is fall down at Jesus' says, I'm a sinful, I don't even deserve to be in your presence. I'm a sinful man. But I love that Jesus doesn't even acknowledge that comment. He just steps right past that. It's a true statement. He goes right past that, though, and he says, listen, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So, he acknowledges his own fault and failure, and Jesus just speaks purpose into that. It's not going to limit you, Peter. And by the way, I don't know if you remember Peter's story, but he'll, make, he'll have more failures along the way. He'll even deny Jesus three times, right? And that still didn't disqualify him from being a significant figure and reshaping the landscape of human history. God still uses him to do that, right? He restores him uh, back to leadership. So acknowledge your failures, yes. Aim to avoid failure? Absolutely. Don't fail for the sake of failing, right? Learn from your failures? Yes. Grow through your failures? Yes. Allow your failures to disqualify you? No. Don't be sidelined by your failures. That's the enemy. That's not from God. I watched this uh, documentary last night on Disney Plus called Imagineering. It's all about, like, the Disneyland story and how Walt Disney, like, you know, created this idea and, like, all of kind of the— and I'm just kind of starting into it, but the journey of, like, how all that stuff was— how all that stuff came about. And one of the things that's interesting to me, just, just the kind of culture that Walt Disney created, because that guy was going big, right? I mean, he was dreaming beyond what anybody else. And not only that, but there was—we only see Disney World today, right? But there was a lot of failures along the way that led to this point in time, right? And I love it because they've created and tried to create a culture at Disney that's like that, like encouraging people to fail. Because they know that if people aren't willing to fail and they're too afraid of failure— they're not going to do that innovative thing, right? And companies like Google and other companies that are successful, where you see a lot of innovation happening, are giving permission to fail, right? Because we need permission to fail. We're going to fail. We're not going to do it perfectly. And so use those failures to learn and grow and to, to, to step into that calling in a greater way on the other side of that. 
Um, your failures do not disqualify you. Story after story in the scripture backs this up. There's a line from Louis Giglio that I like that is always, it's just kind of stuck with me. It's one of those just really pastory kind of lines. It's just like, oh, that's really memorable. Uh, but it's stuck with me over the years. He, he talks about how setbacks are opportunity for comebacks. You're, you're facing a setback right now. You're facing a failure. That's the beginning of your comeback story. So God is the king of comebacks. Allow him to work the comeback story and use that for the sake of your calling, for the sake of his good. What if we started looking at our failures differently? Like, hey, here's just another opportunity for a comeback, right? And I'm going to make a comeback. Paul understood this on a personal level. He said, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I'm the worst. But for that very reason, I will show mercy that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. So he said, hey, look at me. I'm the worst of sinners. Let that be an example to you that God can use you too. God can bring life to you too. Misconception number six is it should come easy. It should come easy. We think this sometimes, don't we? Like, if I'm really doing what I'm supposed to be doing, like, it should just be, like, flowing. Like, it should be the easiest. Like, it should be like the yellow brick road. It's just laid out in front of me, and I just dance along the streets of the yellow brick road, and here I am. But any of you that is trying to live out your calling understands that it's more like a jungle and a machete, right? Like, you just got to work for that. You got to continue to stay in the game. You got to continue to to do what Jesus tells us to do, which is to count the costs, right? Count the costs and be willing to pay the price to live out that calling. Let go of the things that we need to let go to propel us forward. And Jesus never makes any promises to the disciples that it would be easy, right? In fact, what do we see happen here? It says, Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll fish for people. You're going to have some purpose. You're going to live out your greater purpose. And what do they do next? They pulled their boats up on the shore. They left everything, and they followed him. They said, nothing is more valuable to us than you and doing what you want us to do. And so we're going to lay down our nets. We're going to lay down um, everything right here, all that we know, and we're going to follow after you. So God never tells us it'll be easy or comfortable or convenient, and that's the mark of calling. If you're just on cruise control, it's probably a good idea to make sure you're still on course with your calling, right? You're still moving forward. This calling can be and is costly. We, uh, so when we released the book, which was like around December, we had that, like a pre-order window, and then uh, our first couple of days like live on Amazon, you know, I'm like, this should be interesting. Like, what's going to happen? Is Amazon going to, there's been all kinds of problems with Amazon, but it initially started early on when I, we get onto Amazon, and it's already like out of stock on Amazon. It's like you can get it in like eight to a thousand months, you know, or something like that. And I'm like, I'm already like frustrated about it. I'm like, you know, and Steven's like, he's messaging them about it. I was like, what's the deal? And so I'm starting to get a little discouraged if I'm being honest. And I'm like, like, you know, what's going on? And then what really discouraged me though is the very next day, it was like day two of elementary discipleship, the big release, our book's up on bargain books. It's like on bargain books. I'm like, oh, it's already on bargain books. Like, a, you know, there's your life's work right there on bargain books. And you're like, yes, you know, like we made it. You know, so it's like you can laugh at that. It's actually funny. Uh, now that I look back on it, it is fun. It's like bargain. But what was really funny to me is on day three, I kid you not, I look, and there is a used copy out there. Day three. I'm like, nobody can read that in three days. There's no way. Like, who just, like, read a few pages? Like, eh, used books, you know? If it's one of you guys here, I'm going to find out, Okay. I really am. 
But, you know, you get in your head about this stuff, you know, and you think, oh, okay, I did what I was supposed to do. Now it should just come easy, you know, and it'll be in helping all the people that it's meant to help, and, you know, it, it would be that easy, right? But God never makes us those promises, you know, when we're really leaning into and living into our calling. And I love it because God could have just said, hey, when did I say this was going to be easy? But instead, like literally probably a day or two later when I was kind of like getting in my head about all this stuff, um, he just laid out a verse on my Instagram feed. I just read it, and Second Chronicles 15, 7 says, But as for you, be strong and do not give up, for your work will be rewarded. It's like, that's like, boom. Like, you ever get a text, you're just like, that's it. Like, I need to, I need to believe that. And uh, that's true for you, too. It might not be easy, but keep going. Continue to be strong. Continue to live the journey that God wants you to live out, because you will be rewarded for that. And I told you guys I've been walking around the park, been doing a lot of praying, and uh, I try to get 10 miles in a week. I don't always get 10 miles in, but I've been getting close to 10 miles in a week, and um, I've just been talking with God, just walking with God. And one of the things I feel like God's been doing in me is really just having me go from this position of, like, I want to hold on to things. Like, this is, he's loosening my grip on things. Like, I, w I want control. And a lot of you guys like control. I like convenience. I like comfort. I, I tend to grab onto these things, right? I like my future in my hands. Like, I, you know, if I'm really going to be honest, I like to kind of know, like, what does that look like? And so I've just been clinging on to, like, white knuckle, like, on to some things. And slowly but surely, God's just, like, pulling back my fingers. Like, he's just like, you know, hey, let, let me take that, you know, because you're going to stress yourself out with that. Like, just, why don't you just put that back in my hands, you know? And when it comes to the results, like, just let me have that. Like, stop trying to carry, stop trying to hold on to that. You don't need to hold that. You know, when it comes to your future, you worry about your future, of anxiety about your future. What, just let me take that. Like, you don't need to worry about these things. Like, just give it back to me. Lay it down. What about just the control, Josh? Like, don't, you don't have to control it all. Just, just hand it back to me. And so I wish I could say that that's an easy process for me. It's not, and it's probably an ongoing one, but I'm trying to do that more because I know that if I'm white-knuckling like this, I don't have open hands to receive what God wants me to receive. I don't have open hands to grab onto calling and, and, and really embrace the call in the way that he wants me to embrace the call. And so I have to just be open-handed before God. And I'll be honest with you, there's nothing more refreshing if you can really get there. So you know what? Like, God, you really do want to do what's best, and I trust you, and whatever that looks like, like, my life is in your hands. And so immediately, at once, they left everything, and they, they followed after him, because there was nothing more worthwhile than that, just chasing after Jesus. So maybe your hands are full today. What's something you need to release? What's a net that you need to release? Maybe it's control, maybe it's your future, maybe it's your family. But just put those things back in God's hands and say, God, you, you, you know what's best. Bring that about. I just want to follow after you. We give it all over to God so that he can repurpose the things in our life. And maybe it's not something dramatic. Maybe it's just God wants you to see that thing differently, wants to see that job that you have differently or wants to see that role that you play differently. Hand it back to God and say, God, this is yours. Bring about purpose. I want to be a fisher of men. May we count the cost. May we embrace the call because it is worth it. I'm going to share something here just a little bit personal, and I've just made it through it earlier, so just bear with me if I don't, but I think I'm more prepared and mentally guarded <laughs> to, to get through this story a little bit. But um, I 
I was sharing a story about um, my grandmother, and it's been almost 10 years since my grandmother passed away, and I just, I had such a dear relationship with her, and uh, she meant so much to me, and I would just remember she lived out in the country, and I'd love just going out, spending time with her, sitting on her front porch, and it seemed like every word that my grandmother would speak to me was just like life-giving, you know, and I don't ever remember her saying a single thing that discouraged me, or like, so I, I would just lean in and listen when she spoke, and um, she, she loved the Lord. She followed hard after the Lord. And um, all of her life, you know, despite difficult circumstances in her life and things that were challenging, like, she just lived it out. She lived the journey. She, she lived the calling of somebody who followed after Jesus all of her life. And so I remember still the day when we had her funeral. It was over at Endeavor Learning Center. Um, it was just a year into Axis. And um, I can still remember that day. And I remember driving in to, um, to celebrate her life. And it was like, as I was listening to the radio, and this song came on the radio, and you ever have one of those moments where you're like, this is like, I mean, this is like clear as day, like exactly what I need to hear in this moment. And it was almost like my grandmother was like singing these words over me. And so I still, I come back to these words all the time, and this song all the time. And um, I think they speak a lot to calling. They've ministered to me, and maybe they can minister to you as we close here. It says, three in the morning, I'm still awake, so I picked up a pen and a page. I started writing just what I, I'd say <clears throat> if we were face to face. I'd tell you just what you mean to me. I'd tell you these simple truths. Be strong in the Lord and never give up hope. You're going to do great things. I already know. God's got his hand on you, so don't live life in fear. Forgive and forget, but don't forget why you're here. Take your time and pray. Thank God for each day. His love will find a way. These are the words I would say. God, we just thank you for the truth of that song. We thank you for the truth of Scripture. We thank you that for each and every person in this room, God, that you have placed a unique purpose and calling on their life. It's not dependent on them. It's not limited by their failures. It's not limited by their past. It's not limited by the fact that they're imperfect. God, I just pray that you would just speak value into people's lives, that you would see, God, that you would help us to see ourselves the way that you see us, as valuable, just based on our existence, not based on our performance. I just pray, God, that throughout this week and really just in these moments, that that truth would just us, God, that it would liberate us to step into our calling. And I just pray for anyone out there today that's just holding on to something. I just pray, God, that even in these moments, I could just lift it up, put it back in your hands. Just like Peter, who had that excuse, but said, God, but if you say so, here it is. So we just lay it all down to you, God. We want to continue to chase hard after you. Continue to walk in the direction of of you, because we know that this is the route to a greater purpose. We love you and praise you and pray in your name.